0: Welcome to the Why We Argue podcast. I'm Robert Talese, your host. I'm professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Why We Argue is produced by Humility and Conviction in Public Life, a project based at the University of Connecticut, which explores how to balance our deepest commitments with open-mindedness, a respect for reason, and intellectual humility. The series, which is made possible by generous funding from the John Templeton Foundation, features brief discussions with public-minded thinkers about the state of civil discourse in contemporary democracy. Today, my guest is Jan Oliveson. Jan is a philosopher and a professor in the Department of Comparative and Cultural Studies at the University of Iceland in Reykjavik, His research is focused on democracy, political participation, dissent, reconciliation, and social criticism. Jan has written also extensively about the efforts in Iceland from roughly 2010 to 2013 to revise that nation's constitution. As many of you may know, these efforts included at least two bodies and a referendum and uh, some crowdsourcing, actually. Um, so we're eager to hear from Jan about how uh, this process worked. Hi, Jan. Hi, hi, Bob. How are you today?
1: I'm I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Thank you for joining me on the Why We Argue podcast. Well,
1: thank you for for having me.
0: So m- why don't we begin just w- with 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 the facts, as it were? Can, can you can you give us some of the background um, to this uh, this this uh, constitutional reform um, process in Iceland?
1: Yes. Um... Uh, Well, it's really the 2008 financial crisis that uh, sort of generated the whole thing. Uh, It had been uh, discussed for decades in Iceland that uh, the constitution needed to be uh, extensively revised or or even rewritten because uh, the constitution we got when the republic was founded in 1944 was really something that was... um, sort of made up from the old Danish constitution uh, a pretty archaic document which basically uh, just uh, made a, a president out of the king so to say so it it was something that needed a revision and this was had been known and and accepted from the from the start of the republic but efforts to do so had been unsuccessful really for many different reasons uh, and it wasn't until we had uh, the financial crisis here uh, hit us very badly in 2008, that uh, the feeling grew among the public and among the political elites that uh, this needed to be done. And the, uh, the leftist government that took office in 2009 after the crisis uh, um, started this and, and a law was passed on uh, convening a constituent assembly which would be given the task of of either uh, revising the constitution or or writing a whole new constitution. Um, In 2010, uh, there were elections to the assembly uh, and there was also, uh, uh, the the, the government also convened a so-called national forum, which was a a randomly selected uh, meeting of almost 1000 participants who were uh, given the task of identifying the Sort of the main issues that uh, should be prioritized in revising the constitution, and then in in 2011 uh, the the constituent assembly was supposed to to, to start the work. Mm. There was one one hurdle on the way though that has to be mentioned. In the meantime, uh, the Supreme Court in January of 2011 uh, determined that uh, because of certain technical flaws in the Constituent Assembly elections. Uh, uh, the the results could not be accepted, and they decided to annul the elections. This was a very uh, controversial uh, decision of the Supreme Court. Uh, many people thought that even though the elections had not been perfect, there was no need to 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 annul them. But this was done. And the reaction by the parliament, uh, which was put in, of course, in great difficulty because of this, was to rather than to hold new election, they decided to reappoint uh, the constituent assembly. Mm. So the body that was eventually uh, given the task of of revising or rewriting the constitution was called uh, the constitutional council rather than the constituent assembly. But it it was uh, with one exception, it had exactly the same twenty five members as had previously been elected to the Constituent Assembly. So this is how how things got in motion.
0: And so did the. Um, let me ask you just one very quick question about the um, about where the, the the story starts, as it were. Um, was there a was there some reason to think that the financial crisis and the the archaic nature of the constitution were somehow connected.
1: Um, well, many people pointed out that uh, the uh, uh, that the constitution was not to blame for the financial crisis. That there were other things, but uh, I think um, the main reason may be that uh, there was a widespread uh, conviction, I would say, at that point, that uh, the constitution needed to be. Uh, Revised uh, extensively uh, was the, uh, the 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 political crisis that resulted from the financial crisis because in the in the winter of of 2008 and 2009 uh, we had really huge grassroots activity and there was uh, a, a totally a total renewal of of political life in Iceland and many people argued that uh, it was not. Sufficient simply to, you know, elect a, a new government, a more progressive or a more leftist government. That there needed to be really some fundamental change in the um, in the way the country was run, so to say. So, um, so that I think is 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 mostly the reason why uh, the decision was made to 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 start this work. In addition to the fact that uh, there was this sort of original idea that. Uh, the Constitution in 1944 really was a provisional document, that this was something that needed to be done sooner or later. So n- why not do it at this point?
0: I see, I see. That makes good sense of it. Um, so um, how did the, did the Constitutional Council produce a revised or a, a, a new Constitution? How did, how did it do its work?
1: Well, uh, it, um, uh, actually it's an interesting uh, thing that because the, uh, the, the, the form of the body was changed, instead of of having uh, uh, the the law that had been made on the Constituent Assembly, uh, the the Constitutional Council really based its work on a Parliament resolution. So it had much more freedom, actually, than the Constituent Assembly would have had. It it basically was uh, given the freedom of deciding itself what it would do, uh, what it would prioritize, Uh, whether it would simply revise certain articles of the old constitution or write a new one. And uh, in the first weeks of its work, it started uh, in April of 2011. It was very quickly decided that the right thing to do was to write a new constitution. There were some uh, drafts, some projected constitutions that were used uh, to to work with. But basically, the... uh, the Constitutional Council started with an empty slate uh, and uh, you, you could say also that if you just look at the time timeframe, uh, they were pretty effective. In, in four months, they actually wrote uh, a whole new constitution. So by the end of July 2011, they were actually able, the Constitutional Council was actually able to uh, submit uh, uh, a draft constitution in the form of a constitutional bill to the to the Speaker of the Parliament, and uh, that was then this. This was then supposed to be taken uh, taken further by the Parliament, because according to the current Constitution, uh, the the uh, whether a Constituent Assembly or a Constitutional Council, it is not able to actually make changes to the Constitution. That must be done by the Parliament. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the. The the, the the procedure was that the the Consti- uh, constitutional council would uh, submit a draft, and then the parliament would uh, would uh, discuss it and and propose it as a bill, and ideally, of course, pass it. And it, it then would have had to be passed by not one but two consecutive parliaments, actually, to become uh, the uh, to replace the, the constitution.
0: I see. And where am I? So I, I remember as, the, as this process was unfolding that mm-hmm. at least I remember reading, um, uh, in, in some English uh, news sources that, um, parts of the, uh, parts of the, the, the constitution that had, the new constitution that had been drafted by the council was made available online and, um, parts of it were either crowdsourced or that they, they called for input from, from the citizens and, and, Parts of it were revised in light of some citizen input is that true
1: yes that's that 's right there was a um, it, it was one of the objectives was that uh, not only would the uh, would the assembly be elected with representatives that were not supposed to come from politics uh, parliamentarians for instance were were not allowed to uh, to run for for the constitutional constituent assembly. Uh, but but secondly the it was also meant to have uh, to consult the public in uh, as wide and open manner as possible uh, this was done prior to the elections by 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 holding the the national forum that i mentioned before a randomly selected assembly which was given the task of of identifying sort of the the values and the priorities in the new constitution but then after the Constitutional Council started its its actual work the the, the, the use of, of uh, the internet and social media uh, was also uh, a, a big part of its its work so uh, so basically it was done through Facebook uh, the the council had a Facebook page where everyone could uh, make, uh, put in questions or make proposals or engage in discussion and, and so on. And this was rather informal. The the uh, constitutional council members would uh, uh, engage in discussion when something was addressed that uh, they were interested in and so on. So this was very free, very open. Uh, but then, of course, there were more formal means of, of, of uh, proposing something. For instance, people were invited to to send formal proposals to the Council, uh, the the subcommittees would have to discuss such proposals. Uh, uh, then, of course, the uh, there was online streaming of the of the Council meetings. Not of the there were three subcommittees; those meetings were not streamed online, but but the the Council meetings were, and and the successive drafts were published every week. So. So you would you would always be able to um, follow what was going on in the council. Every week you would be able to see the progress of the jobs. You would be able to comment on what had been done during the week. Uh, so there were many channels for participation. Really, this this then uh, I think because especially because of the social media connection, uh, this very quickly. Uh, got labeled, you know, the the crowdsourced constitution, and I think it's maybe a bit of a stretch. It wasn't crowdsourcing in any sort of planned or 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 uh, or systematic sense, but uh, it was rudimentary crowdsourcing in in the way that there was sort of a self-selected informal process uh, where where people could jump in and actually have some some say in what was going on.
0: That sounds amazing. Um so the final version of the of the new constitution what were some of the the reforms how and, and what were some of the major ways in which it, it 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 was different from uh the constitution that it was meant to replace?
1: Um well it was maybe not that hugely different. I should I should mention a few things though. First of all, um the uh, uh the way that uh the wording of the articles of the constitution were modernized. So instead of, for instance, uh, making uh, the president uh, a key figure uh, as, as had been in the, in the old constitution, where um, in, a, in a very funny way, uh, the president, you know, if you read the, the, the current, I shouldn't say the old, it's the, it's the actual current constitution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you read it, you, you would, to begin with, think that the president of Iceland is a very powerful uh, figure, But if you read further, you see that the power he gets in the, in the first half of the constitution is actually taken from him or her in the, uh, in the latter half, (laughs) Uh, because uh, this is uh, a, the, the heritage of the, of the 19th century uh, monarchy where the king is actually powerful and then uh, his power is, is given to the, to the various ministers and so on. So, so, in in the Icelandic Constitution, it had all sorts of of strange uh, and I would say archaic uh, things with how uh, the the power is how power is administered in the in the country. It doesn't really it doesn't really change anything. I mean, if you read the whole Constitution to understand it, you will see that the the President has a certain veto power, but apart from that, uh, he or she is 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 more like a ceremonial. Figure. So this was changed in the way that uh, there was a, a more, uh, the, the, the article about the government, about the division of power and so on, made much more sense, but it didn't really change uh, that much. Then there were uh, articles about, for instance, uh, environmental protection, about uh, second and third generation rights, uh, about uh, natural resources. And importantly, about uh, possibilities for the public to, uh, through referenda and, and other means, to actually influence uh, decisions of the of the Parliament. And I would say, uh, if you if you take the two constitutions, the, the the current one and the and the the constitutional council draft, there isn't such a revolutionary difference between them. It's more like uh, a, a modernized version. Of of the uh, of the older document and um, and I think that uh, in general uh, the, the the sort of the, the 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 controversial issues were you know just a couple maybe three or four not more but as a whole uh, the the reason or the rationale for for uh, revising it in this way would simply be to say we need a constitution that is made for us and by us. And which reflects sort of the the the, uh, the situation uh, in the country and the world at this time, rather than being a 19th century document provisionally revised quickly uh, to found a republic in 1944, you know, in the middle of of the of the war. Right,
0: right. So the, the council's uh, you know new constitution, um, again I'm, from memory, uh, it involved the introduction of. Um, term limits that, uh, that the old constitution didn't specify. Is that true?
1: Yes, there were, uh, some, uh, issues of that sort and also, uh, about, uh, the, the way, uh, the, 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 that, uh, ministers were appointed, uh, how, uh, uh, how MPs could could or could not be ministers at the same time and things like that. I see. So, there were sort of political reforms of 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 this of this kind. But I, I would say, you know, if you if you if you would if you would think about you know the real controversial issues, uh, it had to do uh, with two things in particular. These are not the only things, but these are maybe the the sort of the sharpest controversies. First of all, it's the is the question of the ownership of national resources. Uh, there was the the concept of national ownership was uh, introduced in this in this uh, constitution uh, and it said, uh, I, I don't remember it verbatim, but it said that uh, natural resources should be in national ownership basically. Yeah. Of course if they were already in private ownership that would not be changed but 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 they would not could not be put into private ownership and the second thing was uh, about uh, the uh, about democracy because it it had both uh, citizen's initiative where uh, uh, there would be a possibility for a certain percentage of uh, people of the of the public to actually propose legislation and make parliament uh, discuss it and and uh, and so on and there would be the possibility for uh, uh fifteen percent or ten percent of the public to demand a referendum on uh, a legislation passed by the parliament mm-hmm. so and this this is something that has been very controversial as well
0: so um as we've already uh, revealed to listeners who may not have known um the 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 constitutional draft that was um, uh, proposed um by this council um, was uh, was not instituted. The constitution of Iceland remains uh, the the one that it's had since uh, 1944. Um, so uh, what happened?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's 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 the question. Well, what happened basically was that uh, the the leftist government uh, ran out of political capital very soon, and uh, it suffered huge loss in the elections of 2013. And the parties that were then elected uh, to or, or had the power to form a coalition government were the parties that were least interested in changing the constitution. Uh, so uh, I should also mention that in 2012, before these elections, there was a national referendum on the constitution, where uh, people were asked to uh, uh, to vote on certain general proposals uh, which were uh, the same as uh, proposals that uh, were in the constitutional draft and they were asked to to say whether they would want a new constitution to be based on the constitutional council draft and this was uh, you you could say that the the draft uh, of the constitutional council was passed in this referendum by two-thirds of the vote the participation was 50 percent which is quite good i think in a in a a referendum like that, and two-thirds of the voters actually supported basing a new constitution on the Constitutional Council Council draft. It doesn't mean that they wanted it to be, you know, proposed exactly uh, the way the Constitutional Council had had written it, but they wanted this work to be the basis of a new constitution. So, so the paradoxical thing is this. uh, how is it possible to have uh, such a huge support uh, for the new constitution? Because the referendum only reflected what everybody had had known for a while—that there was big and and permanent support for the new constitution—and the politicians are still able simply to ignore it. And I think it's it's an interesting political thing that you you sometimes don't have. Uh, you, 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 there is not a much of support and enthusiasm, so that even though the the Icelandic public supported the the constitution, the new constitution, it seemed not to be an important uh, not to be important enough for them to actually punish the politicians for not acting on it, right? So, you know, a constitution is a fairly abstract thing. People tend to think more about um, something closer to them. Uh, financial things, salaries, so on. And it's simply I think the answer to your question is, is simply this that um, in spite of the support, in spite of the work which was uh, you know largely I think um, um, uh, good and and gave a, a a possible if not a good result, uh, still uh, the uh, the public wasn't engaged enough in this uh, project, actually go into the streets and say to the politicians, we want you to to finish this. So in fact the the project has been stalled since 2013. The the government that took office then, which was uh, famously actually uh, uh, taken out of office a few years later when the Panama Papers scandal uh, came, this this government they they said well we are not going to uh, going to renew the constitution we, we we are going to appoint a new committee to discuss the matter further so there was a constitutional committee appointed it discussed uh, certain key changes to the constitution for a few years. And actually had proposals ready in the spring of two thousand and sixteen. but but the Panama scandal sort of turned everything on its head. <laughs> so that uh, nothing came out of that work. But uh, in a way, still the the project was revived uh, in two thousand and sixteen. and 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 you could say that even even though um, we haven't had uh, there's been one government in the meantime. Uh, there are, um, as we speak, November 2017, there is uh, one more government is being formed after elections in the fall, so we don't know what's going to happen with the with the project. But you could say uh, it died in 2013, but it was revived in 2016. 16. And I think it simply doesn't seem to go away. Uh, so even though the politicians have been able to ignore the referendum, uh, ignore the support that it clearly has among the public. Um, still uh, it's being kept alive by uh, by uh, activists who are interested in it and uh, and this is, is something that I think the next government will have to address. So it isn't dead, it might still uh, happen, you could say
0: well john you've been very generous with your time and I wanted to make sure um uh, b- before we uh before we end our, our discussion um uh to get to a question which is um uh, which is what we were just touching on so this has been a sort of amazing uh a story a, a amazing story of democracy uh, um, uh going back to uh, two thousand nine uh, so almost over a decade now what what do you think are the lessons um for democracy that we can draw from this ongoing experience in Iceland with um, political reform.
1: Oh, I think there are there are many lessons actually. The the uh, as as for the constitution and the debate about and around the constitution, I think uh, there is a, a lot of lessons for participatory and direct democracy that that can be drawn from that. For instance, uh, once the constitutional council had drafted its its constitution, and it became sort of a, a, a document debated in public. There was, a, uh, of course, uh, many controversies about it, and uh, there was a very strong uh, objections came from the, from the academic elites, I should say, uh, scholars of law and political science, who were sceptical of the process, who were sceptical about uh, having uh, a constitution drafted, you know, just like that, by the public, basically, through some kind of crowdsourcing and, and things like that. And they uh, they made all sorts of, of objections and, and comments on the draft, and uh, some of them even claimed that uh, adopting it would lead to a constitutional crisis, it would be disastrous, and so on and so forth. So it resulted in a very interested interesting conversation about uh, the merits of actually allowing uh, documents like that texts like that legal texts even constitutions to be uh, uh, drawn up or drafted by by the public with public participation and i think there is a uh, there is an epistemic sort of an imbalance there because uh, in the fall of 2012 uh, after the referendum you could say that there was a big push on the parliamentarians actually to, uh, to say, well, this is what the people want. Now we should simply pass the bill, adopt the constitution, do what the, uh, what the public wants. But then you have uh, this strong um, uh, opposition coming from people who are supposed to be the experts. And you can kind of understand the situation of the parliamentarians who have to choose should we go with the public? Should we go with the with the with the public choice, or should we listen to the to the experts? And this created a sort of a confusion in the well within the uh, the political camp, so to say, which which basically made the parliamentarians afraid of of going with uh, the public. And in this case, I think it's it's very difficult to to say that the experts were necessarily right. I think they also had their interests there were uh, all sorts of, of reasons for uh, for their criticisms i think some of the criticisms were were wrong headed or simply wrong but at least what we have here is a, is an interesting case of uh, a controversy between the public on the one hand and the experts on the other and and, and it's a, it's a big question and a, a very important one how you should Deal with with such a conflict Should you simply listen to the experts and say they must know uh, the, 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 their criticisms must be taken seriously, or, or should you do something else? The politicians who tend to listen to the public they still maybe don't want to be populists and so on. So there's a, there are there are things like that that I think have have come up, which are, are pretty interesting and and important. And there's also the the, the sort of the the the, the, the question of the democracy itself. Um, uh, how is it possible to simply, or or how does it really uh, work to simply ignore the results of uh, a referendum like uh, has been done so far here in Iceland? I mean, uh, basically, if you think about uh, the idea of a referendum that has is consultatory, it's supposed to to direct politicians rather than uh, determine exactly what they should do. So in this case. Uh, the referendum about the Constitution was consultatory. But somehow it seems uh, counterintuitive to say that uh, it's being consultatory means that the politicians can ignore it. Right. It means right. that they are supposed to find uh, good ways to implement what the public has decided or said, but simply to ignore it and say that, well, we think that something, other, something else is more important or better, Seems to be pretty undemocratic, and I think actually that uh, with time, this is something that uh, uh, doesn't go so easily away. There was a referendum; it said something, and the politicians will not be able simply to act as if it never happened. So I think that's one of the reasons why this project doesn't just evaporate, doesn't just go away. It, it, it's it's there; it has to be it has to be resolved in some way.
0: Well th- that's all fascinating and um a couple of uh previous guests on uh, on the podcast have have just have, have made the point but you're now making it even more explicitly in a way democracy is really hard work right <laughs> i mean, <Yeah>. uh, um <laughs> So, Jan, you've been you've been great. Um, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today, um, and uh, I, I I wish the best for your ongoing work uh, on this project. I take it that you are among the people who are uh, working to to keep the issue alive in your country.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm I, I would put myself in that camp, although I, I, I I'm sort of. Uh, Academically, I'm I'm also just interested in exploring uh, and and observing what goes on. But but you're right. I mean, I have have, had uh, some uh, sort of activists participate in this a little bit in the the activist sense. And I think that, you know, it's it's not so much the question of is is the, uh, you know, is the current draft very good or not very good. It's really a question of, of, of seeing a process to its end. Uh, so, so I think that that in the end, what what you want to see is is certain things taken seriously, so certain things being addressed, not just ignored. I'm I, I don't necessarily have very strong opinions on the particular uh, you know articles in the constitution or something like that. It's a it's a question of a process. There is some commitment uh, involved in democracy, and I think simply here in Iceland we haven't really uh, seen the politicians. Respect that commitment
0: well that's a that's a good ending point for our our conversation today. Jan Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast Thank you. And thank you, listeners, uh, for tuning in to the Why We Argue podcast, which I remind you is produced by the University of Connecticut's Humility and Conviction in Public Life Project with generous support from the John Templeton Foundation. You can follow the project on Twitter and on Facebook at at Public Humility. That's one word, Public Humility. Thank you so much. And bye for now.